If you've bought into everything Matthew has said about Jesus, there are ramifications for your life. The very first implication that Matthew gives us is that we are to repent of our sin. This is Timeless Truth Today, and I'm your host, Matt Williams. Today, Pastor Paul Twiss, teaching pastor at Bethany Bible Church, begins a new series from Matthew's New Testament Gospel. We welcome you to part one of Prepare the Way of the Lord, taken from chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. We're going to meet a prophet in the likeness of the Old Testament's Elijah. He's not new to Scripture, however, as Isaiah prophesied of him as a forerunner of the Messiah all the way back in chapter 40 of his book. He is John the Baptist, the earthly cousin of Jesus, according to Luke's Gospel, and he is busy preparing the way for the Christ. Here's part one of Prepare the Way of the Lord. So as I mentioned, we move this morning from introductory matters into the Gospel narrative proper. We leave the prologue behind us and move into the drama of the gospel. We're moving beyond chapters 1 and 2 into the narrative that teaches us about Jesus' earthly ministry. As we do so, it's important that we keep the prologue in view, that we don't lose sight of everything that's happened so far. I believe Matthew even gives us an indicator in the text that he wants us to keep in view his first two chapters, and I'm referring here simply to the timestamp that he gives us in the very first part of verse 1 of chapter 3, in those days, just ponder and think that for a minute, the days that we've been reading of thus far have actually been the days of Jesus' birth and his childhood. We've now hit fast forward, and very quickly you'll see we're into the days of Jesus being a man and teaching publicly. So in one sense, you might say there is a disconnect in time between chapters 1 and 2 and where we are now in chapters 3 and following, and yet, Matthew says, in those days. He uses the timestamp to put his arm around everything that has come so far and everything that's about to follow, which suggests to us that the first two chapters are not to be forgotten. We have been working through Matthew's introduction and seeing all of the proofs that he gives that Jesus is the Messiah. Matthew makes that claim in the first verse, and then piece by piece, he puts together for us the puzzle to show us What he said is absolutely true. This man is the king, the long-awaited-for king of Israel, who would bring about their hopes and would bring a blessing to the nations. Those proofs, that evidence, in turn constitutes a reason to worship him. It's not simply dry data 
But I trust you've seen through the weeks that every single time Matthew gives another line of evidence that Jesus is the Messiah, at the same time, he's prompting us to respond in worship of this man. Now we move on to Jesus' earthly teaching ministry, beginning with John the Baptist, who was a forerunner. And you might say, in one sense, that the first question that Matthew is answering here is the so what of everything that's been accomplished so far. Here are all my proofs that Jesus is the Messiah. You're to worship him. Jesus is the long-awaited for king of Israel. Then we move into chapter 3, and Matthew lays out the very first implication of Jesus' kingship. If you've ascribed to everything that you've read so far, then there are consequences If you've bought into everything Matthew has said about Jesus, there are ramifications for your life. The very first implication that Matthew gives us is that we are to repent of our sin. If Jesus is who Matthew said he is, the King of Israel, the long-awaited for Messiah, we need to respond by repenting of our sin Because this Jesus is the bringer of the kingdom. We've sung this morning about God's kingdom. The establishment one day on this earth of God's kingdom. And as we look forward to that, there are implications now. Namely, that we would turn away from all that dishonors the Lord. That we would anchor ourselves to kingdom principles and kingdom values. And we would allow the kingdom to orient our lives and our steps and turn away from everything that doesn't fall under God's design for his kingdom. One thing that might strike you as I say that is just how confrontational this gospel is. We talk about the gospel as good news. And rightly so, it is good news for mankind. But you see in chapter 3, verse 1 and following, it is a very confrontational message. The gospel gets up in your face and it demands things of you immediately. If you are to receive the good news, then there are consequences for the way in which you live your life. That would have been very confrontational. For a Jew in Matthew's day, reading this book, they had certain expectations of what the Messiah would do that we thought through last week. They had altogether forgotten about the reality of their sin, and they were focused almost exclusively on the fact that the Messiah would establish his reign on their behalf, overthrow the Roman government, and everything would be great. And Matthew says, number one, you need to realize that this Messiah is coming in such a way that you have to repent It's a confrontation for his Jewish readers. It's a confrontation for the agnostic who says, you know, I I just don't think we can really know what God is and, and who he is and what is truth. We're just not given that kind of knowledge. And Matthew says, you can live your life that way, but you have to give an explanation for the man Christ Jesus who calls you to repentance. It's confrontational for the atheist who is a little bit more entrenched in his refusal to accept the truth about Christ and says, I believe there is no God. 
And Matthew says, you, you can live your life that way, but you have to give an account for how you have responded to all of these proofs and the implication that comes from it, namely the fact that you are a sinner that needs to repent. It's also very confrontational for the Christian. The Christian who all too often can focus on what is good about the good news and very conveniently put to one side the responsibilities that it places upon you, very conveniently form a version of Christianity that doesn't really challenge you in any meaningful way. The Christianity I live is actually very easy. It's very enjoyable. It makes no demands of my life. I don't really think about my sin because God's got that covered. Matthew confronts that type of Christian and says part and parcel of the gospel message is that you would take ownership of your sin, acknowledge it before God, and turn from it. That's what it means to embrace the good news of salvation. And this is the implication with which Matthew leads. And so in our text this morning, six verses, we can break it up into four different thoughts, each in some way informing us more about the nature of repentance to which we're called. Four different points as we work through, giving us something of a theology of repentance, beginning very simply with the call, the call to repentance. Matthew says, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So these are the very first words recorded of John the Baptist in Matthew's gospel. And it's often the case that the first words recorded of a character in biblical narrative project something of his ministry, his life, the characteristic features of this man. John will be known as a, as a preacher of repentance and a preacher of the kingdom that is at hand. As he calls people to repentance, what they would have understood by that command is first and foremost a change in their thinking. In the Greco-Roman world, to repent was to change your thoughts about a particular issue. As John said, repent, the first thought that would come to mind is, he's telling me to think differently about something, to choose to change my thoughts on a particular issue. But it doesn't stop there. More than that, drawing on the Jewish roots of the gospel. In the Old Testament, the heart is mission control. Everything comes from the heart, the thought life, ethics, behavior. To repent doesn't simply mean I'm going to choose to think differently about a topic, but I will think differently to such an extent that my behavior changes. It's actually an all-encompassing plea. Repent, choose to think differently such that your behavior evidences your change of thought. Your feet turn in a different direction because you have changed your thought pattern on a particular issue. Some years ago, I had a weekly demonstration of this truth from one of my kids. We would pick them up from the Sunday school class every Sunday 
And round the lunch table on that Sunday afternoon, we would just go round and, and, and it was one thing you learned at church today. That's what the conversation was every week. And, and my son, every single week for, it seemed like months, would tell me he learned about repentance. I never thought to go to the Sunday school teachers and just question why week after week they felt burdened to teach my son about this. There was maybe some reason, but nevertheless, every week... What did you learn today about repentance? And he was maybe four or five at the time, and so I would dare to ask, so, so what does it mean? Tell me. And he wouldn't utter a word, but he would get up from the lunch table. He would walk across the room. And halfway across the room, he would stop, turn around, and walk back. And I would say, you got it. You know what repentance is. He understood fully that it was to change your life's direction. This would have been a shock to Matthew's readers. They're waiting for the Messiah. Their hearts are yearning for the arrival of their king. They had, throughout the years, lost a fully developed sense of the messianic hope as it is presented to us in the Old Testament. We spoke about this last week as we thought about the fact that Jesus would be called a Nazarene. He would be lowly, despised, rejected. That strand of the messianic expectation had been nearly altogether lost, such that they had focused almost exclusively on the expectation that the Messiah would be a military ruler. In Jesus' day, the messianic expectation was nearly exclusively that when the Messiah would come, he would come in military might. He would instantly overthrow the Roman government. He would set up his reign and the Jewish people would benefit. And Matthew says, the very first thing you need to understand about this Messiah is that you need to repent. He calls you to repentance. Repentance with reference to what? The next part of the the sermon tells us, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven in Matthew's gospel is somewhat synonymous with the kingdom of God. So Matthew's is a very Jewish gospel. He writes predominantly for a Jewish readership. And the Jews did not want to say the name of the Lord for fear of breaking the commandment that teaches us not to blaspheme, not to take the Lord's name in vain. So they would, by uh, an alternative, say the kingdom of heaven instead of the kingdom of God. The two are near synonyms within Matthew's gospel. So John is announcing that Jesus not only is the Messiah, but the bringer of God's kingdom. He's the king, and he is bringing God's kingdom. This is how we're to understand the miracles of Jesus' ministry. Each miracle is like a window into life in the kingdom. This is what it's like to be in his kingdom. It has not been established yet. We're waiting for Jesus' return to establish that kingdom. But in his first coming, he he was bringing it. The kingdom things were happening around him. And so the repentance is informed by that second half of his sermon. Repent with respect to everything that does not align with God's kingdom. Matthew's not calling us to repent of our 
diet. He's not asking us to change the way we think about our job. He's not saying, I need you to change your name this week. What he's targeting with this quotation from John the Baptist is everything in your life that does not align with kingdom values. We can summarize it with one word, namely sin. You are to repent with respect to your sin. That is how you need to change your thinking. Think differently about your sin to such a degree that your life evidences a change. A change in thinking, a change in attitude, a change in your heart's disposition. If it was challenging to Matthew's original readers, it is also challenging to many today. So much so that there are lots and lots who would profess faith in Christ and not see this call to repentance as part of the gospel message. There are many that would say, come to Jesus. Let him be to you a savior who makes you right with God. And in their articulation of the gospel, there would be no call to repentance. Jesus can be a savior to you without being your authoritative Lord. Or the way that it might play out, you can live your life however you want. Jesus is your savior. You can keep on living however you want. This morning, or I should say this afternoon, we have the privilege of sharing a lunch together with many who are interested and eager to become members of this church. And we praise the Lord for these days of ministry at Bethany and all of the new folks that have joined us. It's my responsibility to make plain that this church believes repentance to be part and parcel of the gospel message. The whole membership process is a time where you get to know who we are as a church and we get to know who you are. And this is not a church that would sweep the doctrine of repentance under the rug. You can't go on living however you want if you're professing Jesus to be your savior. The very first thing that Matthew draws our attention to in the body of his gospel is the command from God that we repent of our sin. As part of that membership process, Every new member will have an interview. If your interview is with me, I'll tell you today what some of the questions will be that I'll ask you. I'm telling you ahead of time. One question I always, always want to ask in a membership interview is tell me what has changed in your life since you have become a Christian. Tell me what your life was like before you knew the Lord. And now tell me where there's been some change Because I want to see that there's been repentance. I want to know that you're taking your sin seriously as the Lord takes it seriously. And I've done membership interviews before where people have struggled to answer that question. And now I'm concerned. Who is Jesus to you? He's just a, a friend that makes you feel comfortable. You like what you get from him in terms of all of his benefits. Is he your Lord? Have you thought differently about your sin since professing Jesus as your Savior? 
the first call with which Matthew leads. The implication from seeing Jesus to be the king is that we would repent of our sin. Now, it's not without theological grounds. It's not without good reason that that we're called to repent. And the grounds, point number two, from the call to repent to the, the grounds of repentance, the grounds is seen through this quotation in the book of Isaiah. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, verse 3, for this is he, John the Baptist, who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So you see at the beginning of verse 3, another one of those small words in the English language which wonderfully tells us so much. It is on this basis. It is for this reason that John preached the message he did. Why did John preach that message? Because, verse 3, Isaiah had first preached another message. So you have to link the two. You have to understand how one leads to the other. Now, we read the text this morning. It's helpful if we would just turn back there for a few minutes to see again Isaiah 40 in its context. Matthew is quoting from Isaiah chapter 40, so as to explain John's ministry and his message. Isaiah 40 is a watershed moment in the book of Isaiah. If you divide Isaiah into two halves, the halfway line is right here. So 1 through 39 has the anticipation of judgment in view. God is telling his people, I'm going to judge you for your persistent sin. And the Assyrians are the first superpower on the stage. And then as you move towards 39, the end of that first half, the Babylonians are brought into view. Then you cross the halfway line into 40. And now Isaiah the prophet projects forward to a time when the people will have been exiled. You were judged by God because of your sin. You are in exile in Babylon. And in that context, Isaiah the prophet says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. In the context of exile, he says, this prophecy is for those people. There is an end to the Lord's discipline. There is a horizon of comfort that I can speak to you. Your warfare is ended. Your iniquity has been dealt with, has been pardoned. You're listening to Timeless Truth Today. A quick reading of Matthew's Gospel will not show us the historical context of events in this narrative, as Pastor Paul explained. Matthew, a Jew, called out of tax collecting by Jesus, wrote his gospel for his people, the Jews, about how the events taking place concerning John the Baptist and Jesus had first been explained in the Old Testament scriptures. The Jews and their leaders knew the scriptures very well, but sadly, they had misinterpreted what their Messiah, their King, would be like. Christ's coming kingdom was God's kingdom, and those accepted into it must repent of their sins, including the hypocrisy of self-righteousness. The very first words we hear spoken by John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 3, verse 2 are, 
Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. If you sincerely want to follow Jesus, you must first repent from and renounce your sin. He died for us to rescue us from sin's bondage. If you'd like to hear more and grow more in your understanding of who Jesus is, visit our website, timelesstruthtoday.org. Select Broadcasts for a free archive of Pastor Paul's teachings. Timeless Truth Today is a teaching ministry of Pastor Paul Twist, a listener-supported outreach of Bethany Bible Church in Thousand Oaks, California. If this program has a positive impact on your walk with Jesus, will you consider making a financial gift to be a part of this gospel outreach ministry? Your support makes you a part of reaching thousands of souls with the good news of Jesus. On the homepage of TimelessTruthToday.org, select Donate to make your gift of any size. Be sure to return tomorrow for part two of Prepare the Way of the Lord. I'm Matt Williams. Thank you for listening to Timeless Truth Today.